One of the sponsors of the Kingdom Community Show is Audible. And we have a special offer for you guys. Just head over to audibletrial.com forward slash kingdom community and sign up for your free 30-day subscription to Audible. Download any audiobook you want. And even if you don't continue with the subscription after the 30 days, the audiobook is yours to keep. Again, that website address is audibletrial.com forward slash kingdom community. Welcome to the kingdom community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. Okay, so welcome everyone to session number five in the Apostolic Centers course. We're going to be looking at what I have uh, called Apostolic Communities. And the reason why I'm referring to uh, apostolic communities, you know, we, we started off in this course talking about apostolic centers, which are really um, gatherings of God's people for the purpose of equipping the saints rather than just coming together to, you know, to worship the Lord, to pray. That's all important. But the apostolic communities um, is really shifting God's people from a conventional kind of pastoral model where we go to church to be ministered to, and it kind of ends there. And, you know, we get encouraged, we get a good word, we worship the Lord, we experience his presence, and maybe we receive some ministry. But the difference really from the pastoral to the apostolic is the apostolic is about equipping and empowering you to be sent out into the world to make a difference. In fact, the Greek word apostelos is literally, literally means to be sent out or to be sent forth. Jesus said, remember that as the Father sent me, so I send you, I apostelos you. Jesus also said that the harvest is plentiful or great, but the workers are few. And he talked about how we're to pray that the Lord would send forth. Now, it's not the word apostelos there. It's the word ekbalo, which means to forcefully send out workers into his harvest field. And so it's all about raising up God's people to live out their purpose on the earth, to fulfill their destiny, which ultimately is the is defined in the scripture. You know, we, some people say, well, God's called me to do this. I understand there's specific projects and ministry emphases that you may have, but ultimately you have to be focused on the, the great commission of Jesus Christ. You have to be make, you need to make sure that you are in sync and in alignment with the purpose of God creating you and saving you, which uh, we're we're going to look at that. So in this season, this COVID-19 season, we are really, we've seen significant setbacks in, in the church in terms of people that have been actively attending. I mean, before COVID-19, particularly in Western nations, there has been a significant decline in Christianity as we, we see this ongoing trend uh, with modern secular educational facilities, uh, teaching people basically, you know, this postmodern time. Gen Z really is the first 
post-Christian generation to arise in our Western nations. And so we, we really are seeing a move away from, from the, um, the basic foundational kind of values, Judeo-Christian values that have been in many of our Western nations. For those of you who live in nations where Christianity is the minority, then for you, it may not really be as, um, as obvious, this, this shift. But still, even in places like Brazil, uh, India, other nations, you know, other parts of, of Asia, there is still a shift away from values as even these nations are economically developing and embracing um, the global economy. It's really impacting the value systems of these nations as well. So we're living in a very different time. And then couple that with the fact that COVID-19 has um, resulted in many people stopping attending, you know, worship gatherings on the weekends, uh, connecting with other believers, fellowshipping. We've seen that in, in significant ways in other parts of the world, um, but it's really had an impact. In fact, one statistic says that approximately 30% of people who attended worship services regularly were connected to a local church um, will not be returning to the church after COVID-19 ever. And that uh, is really in reference to the United States, but I think it's relevant to other places as well. In the United States during COVID-19 and the pandemic, which is obviously at, at the time of this recording is still happening, we're still not out of the woods, so to speak, yet. We have seen 50% of millennials have actually dropped out of attending uh, church services, church worship gatherings, and so on. And that includes also online experiences. So, guys, it's not, it's not a good thing in the natural. Now, what is the answer? I mean, I think that ultimately, Jesus, what he said years ago, that the harvest is great. There is a vast harvest. There are many people that are ready to, to receive the gospel and to be born again and to be saved. There are many people in the world. There are hundreds of millions of people, I believe, that are going to come into the kingdom of God in the ensuing years. And what we refer to now as the global south is the pre, preeminent, uh, predominant areas where this is happening. Things have shifted away from from you know the western nations being the sending nations it used to be the united kingdom and and north america would send forth the greatest amount of missionaries in in australia and other places but now what has happened in particular is this shift is that do you know that 30%, only 30% of the missionaries being sent forth into the world are coming from the United States, only 30%. The rest are coming from the global South, which would be uh, South Asia, which would include Africa and even South America. There has been an incredible change in the season in which we live. And I have uh, had the privilege to travel and minister in many nations of the world. And I can tell you that there is such a need for what Pastor Kevin shared in the preceding session. 
to see the power of the gospel demonstrated. We need this more than ever before. There are a lot of people that are um, preaching a message, which is the message of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That's obviously the gospel message, but we need to move beyond just preaching the word, declaring the word into demonstrating the word. We need to see that. As you look at the early church, it's apparent that the first century followers of Jesus had a profound impact on their culture. In Acts 17, verse 6, it says of the apostles, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So this was the reputation that they had for turning the world upside down. So I believe what has happened by and large is that the traditions of men, denominations, uh, has crept into the church and has become a great impediment to the advancement of the kingdom of God on the earth. Jesus said of the Pharisees in Mark 7, 13, you make the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down. And then Matthew 23, 13, this is a New Living Translation. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. So we need to look at our traditions. Are the traditions that we embrace, that we hold dear, that we advocate really biblical in their basis, or are they just the way we've always done things? And ultimately, tradition is the number one hindrance to seeing the kingdom of God advance on the earth. So we need to discard religious tradition and we need to build. Now, this is the part that is really important for us to embrace is that a lot of times what we think is not tradition is perhaps not uh, traditions in the sense that it's not what some, you know, more formal uh, liturgical type of churches would, would, um, would do in terms of tradition. You know, we can have sacred cows in evangelical spirit-filled churches as well among God's people. So we must discard those traditions and we must build on the right foundation is, is what the Bible is very clear about, which is a revelation that Jesus gave to his church, to his people, his ecclesia and his mission. So I believe that clearly the Bible teaches that the church is to be built upon the foundation, first of all, of apostles. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, that God has set in the church, first of all, apostles, then secondarily, prophets. And then it continues. Interestingly, you'll never find the word pastor in that list. It's not referenced there at all. In fact, the word pastor is only found one time in the New Testament as what we often refer to as an office, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. The word pastor literally is shepherd, and it refers to shepherding primarily, meaning as an action word, is something we do. We shepherd the flock of God, and apostles shepherd, prophets shepherd, uh, teachers shepherd, and, and certainly even evangelists are called to shepherd, which really is not so much just about taking care of people's needs, but it also involves equipping people for the work of ministry as well. So we're going to go through some important elements of apostolic communities. I want to just add, I'm advocating today 
that there is a place for us to go back to the apostolic and prophetic as the foundations for the church, the ecclesia of God. Uh, again, Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. So we have to recognize that apostles and pastors have very different functions relative to advancing the kingdom and building up the body of Christ. When Paul said apostles are first, the Greek word he uses there is proton, which means firstly in time, place, order, or importance. It speaks, now this is what I want to emphasize, it speaks of priority, not authority. Now, there is apostolic authority, Paul talks about that, but when we are speaking about the importance of apostles being foundational or being first, it's more about priority, right? When you build something, what is the first thing you construct? The foundation. So the foundation has to come first. And if you don't build the right foundation, if it's not um, it's following the, the blueprints of, of the builder, of the architect, then that foundation can be flawed and will not endure. Ultimately, we, are, we recognize that apostles are called to lay foundation. Paul spoke about that in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. He said, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. So Paul was a master builder. The Greek means an architect. He would come into a region and he would lay foundation. Often we see him appointing elders and others that he would train and he would equip as you follow his missionary journeys, you see the, the process that he embraced, but they would build upon that. So apostles lay foundation, and they are called to lay the foundation, which is Jesus Christ himself. No other foundation can anyone lay than Jesus Christ. So that is the importance of what uh, they're called to do. It's first of all, foundational guys. And if we, we see so often today in many places of the world that people are, are building on the foundation of pastors. They build on the foundation of even evangelists and other gifts and, and recognize in the New Testament, even though we see that there were people that were actually, um, utilized by God, like the example in Acts chapter 8, when Philip went up to Samaria. Philip, we know, is referred to as an evangelist. He was not uh, an apostle, but Philip goes there, he preaches the gospel, and then what ends up happening is after he sees many people come into the kingdom, what does he do? He sends for the apostles, and he asks the apostles to come, and the apostles really set things in order. They, they put things in place. And Paul said the very same thing to, to his son in the faith, Titus. Uh, when you look at the Titus chapter one, I believe it's verse five, where he says, I've sent you to Crete to you know, complete what was lacking. And, and in other words, this foundation wasn't properly, I laid the foundation that we need to build upon it and to set or ordain elders in every church. So that was part of it, of, of what they do. Now, secondly, and this part is huge, the apostolic message and mission. Guys, this is massive. This is massive. I believe the thing that is hindering 
the church from experiencing the power of the gospel, seeing lives transformed, experiencing revival and transformation of cities and nations is because we have gotten the second uh, point wrong, and that is apostolic message and mission. Jesus said, this is the, the message that we're called to preach. Are you ready? Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus said it's the gospel of the kingdom that we are to preach, and it will be preached, he says, throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So important is it that Jesus said, if we do not preach this gospel of the kingdom, he's implying the end will not come until the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Of course, when he speaks about nations there, he's actually referring to people groups. The, the Greek has to do, we call pantata ethne in Greek, which literally means the ethnic groups, the different ethnic groups. When you look at how many countries there are in the world right now, the United Nations has designated 195 countries. They do not include Taiwan. If they did, it would be 196 countries. But when you look at how many ethnic groups there are in the world, Oh my, it totally changes everything. We move from 195 countries to over 17,000 ethnic groups in the world. And that's if you count the same ethnic group uh, in, in the countries in which they are physically existent. So for example, you may have uh, Malay, Malay people in in certain parts of the world in Southeast Asia that are in more than one country. So over 17,000 different ethnic groups in the world right now, and almost 7,000 of those ethnic groups are unreached, which means that less than 2% of the population is born again, evangelical Christian. And because there's less than 2%, it literally means that they, it implies, missiologists say that they need outside help. They need missionaries, they need media, they need what we're doing today, training the leaders in these countries, and they need people to help evangelize in order to reach their people in these particular places. So when we talk about apostolic communities, um, apostolic centers, which literally are the gatherings and the places where apostolic communities assemble, they have first and foremost a mandate to advance the kingdom of God and transform regions around the world. We see this very clearly, like when Paul went into um, when Paul went into Ephesus, and we see the large, the massive impact he had as a result of signs and wonders and miracles occurring. People were transformed. You know, they, they repented en masse to the point that they brought their witchcraft and their occult paraphernalia, their idols. They burned it in the fire. And what ended up taking place is uh, there was a great revival, a great move of God, and all of Asia Minor heard the gospel in that time. So there is a work in which the apostolic community led by apostles literally see uh, spiritual principalities and powers dealt a blow, and God does something supernaturally, and there's an open heaven that they experience. I remember 
this happening in my ministry one time as I was ministering in East Africa. And um, I went there, we were doing a, a crusade in, in a, an actual stadium, and we, we were really finding it difficult. The attendance was, was meager, the spiritual atmosphere, there was darkness, we, we just felt resistance in the spirit realm, and, and we began to pray and just say, Lord, we need a breakthrough, we need to see people come, we need to see miracles, and, and many people uh, be saved and born again. And one afternoon, I was ministering, one morning, actually, I was ministering, and uh, as I finished ministering, God moved powerfully, there were many miracles that happened, the this elderly lady in her 70s came to me. She didn't speak English, and through an interpreter, she said, um, would you please pray for my grandchildren? She had two grandchildren with her, a boy and a girl. The parents had died of AIDS, and she said, will you pray for them? And the pastor, without even telling me, blew her off and just said, Pastor Glenn is busy right now, but if you come to the crusade tonight, he'll pray for your your grandchildren. So sure enough, that night we go to the, the grounds, the stadium grounds where we're conducting the crusade. And that lady is there with her two grandchildren. And I began to pray for those children. And as I did, I was immediately, I felt this evil, dark presence. And I knew right away that we were dealing with demons. So I, I just began to, to minister to the lady. And as I began to pray for her, the demonic manifestation took place and we cast the demons out of her and she was set free and delivered instantly. And she, you know, she fell out under the power of the Holy spirit, but here's the interesting point, not, not really the deliverance. I've seen thousands of people delivered, but it's what happened next that night about an hour or two later, when we got up and we, the crusade commenced, we came out and we looked and there were thousands of people there. People had gathered from all over and there was, the atmosphere was charged with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Miracles. You could tell that there, the atmosphere was ripe. It was conducive for miracles. People were worshiping. They were exuberant. They were joyful. We had experienced such a breakthrough. It was like there was an open heaven and God was pouring out his spirit. And as I preached the gospel that night, thousands of people came home to Jesus. We saw many deliverances, many healings, and many miracles. But I said, Lord, what happened? And the Lord pointed me back to this woman. I mean, she was an elderly lady, probably less than five feet tall, uh, a little grandmother. And, and I, I said, Lord, what happened? And he reminded me of the scripture in Matthew 12, 28, where Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom has come upon you. And he showed me, he said, what has happened tonight is the kingdom has come as a result of the enemy being dealt with. And I believe that it wasn't just clearly uh, something that happened with, with some demons being cast out of, of a woman, but there was something that shifted in the atmosphere. There was something that happened with 
principalities and powers. You know, when Jesus sent the disciples out to preach the gospel and heal the sick and cast out demons, they came back and, and you know, he Jesus said that he saw Satan fall like lightning. And so there was something that happened in terms of people uh, being set free as a result of the the spiritual atmosphere and principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in the heavenly realms. Something happened that was so powerful. So Guys, the gospel of the kingdom is a gospel that is not just in word, but it's in power. And we need this today with signs and wonders. Now, the next part, when we're talking about not only the message here, but the mission, when Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the new King James, I'm sorry, the English standard version. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, let me be very uh, brief with this, but I, I need you to please recognize what Jesus is actually saying here. He's telling us that we're called to disciple people from all nations. In the uh, New Testament language, the verbal imperative is the word that in Greek that we translate in English in this text, make disciples. Go um, and baptize and teach really are participles. The verbal imperative tells us what to do. Participles tell us how to do it. So what are we called to do? Make disciples. How do we make disciples? We go, we baptize them, and we teach them to obey or to observe everything that Jesus commanded. Very simple. Discipleship is going to people. It's preaching the gospel, but then it's teaching them how to obey or observe everything that Jesus commanded. And of course, to be baptized in water and of course, baptized in the Holy Spirit as well. Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. The kingdom community is unique in that we are not seeking to build a denomination or a religious organization. Our aim is to promote the Lord Jesus Christ, build up and equip His body, and advance the kingdom to the nations of the world. We invite you to connect with us and become part of the Kingdom Community family. We are here to stand with you and celebrate your place in the body of Christ. We need each other and we are much better together. We exist to equip you to live an overcoming life and fulfill your purpose in God's kingdom. Through our live monthly training sessions, our webinars, online courses, discipleship resources, and personal mentoring, you will be transformed and equipped to make a difference in the world. Jesus said, the harvest is great and the workers are few. The kingdom community is here to see you released into your calling with the full manifestation of God's blessing and favor on your life. We offer apostolic covering and relational connection. The kingdom community has a team of seasonal leaders who can help you with guidance, counsel, coaching, and mentoring. Ministerial credentials are also available to those who qualify. The Kingdom Community is all about 1. 
creating an atmosphere of expectation for the supernatural. Two, strategically equipping the saints of God to fulfill their purpose in the kingdom. Three, connecting you to people and resources for personal growth, leadership development, and collaboration in mission and ministry. To learn more and to connect with us, visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Our website again is kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. The concept here is that apostolic communities, apostolic people are not just called to preach the gospel of salvation, where people end up believing, but there's a place going way beyond that where people embrace the message of discipleship. So in John 8, verses 30 to 31, Jesus had been preaching a very strong message. Many people were upset with him, the religious leaders in particular. But then it says that even as he spoke, many believed in him. But to those who believed in him, Jesus said this, if you continue or abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth. You will genosco the truth, which means you'll know it experientially and personally. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know. So Jesus was saying, it's not enough just to believe. It's not enough to say that I'm you know, Jesus, I believe your Lord and Savior. That's the beginning. When we're born again, we come into the kingdom, but then there's a responsibility to follow Jesus, to be disciples. I challenge you to read the New Testament through this lens. There's never once where Jesus said, put up your hand and believe in me. Okay, now say the sinner's prayer and you're good to go. And I hope you, I hope you make it into heaven one day, find a local church, you know, here's a Bible or whatever. He didn't do it that way. What he did was he called them to come and follow him. He invited them into community. He invited them to a lifestyle of following Jesus Christ, Jesus, the master, Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus, the teacher invites them to come and to submit to him as a people, not just individuals, and in community in order to be discipled, to be transformed. And what does he do? For the next three years, he pours himself into these 12. We know in the beginning, many people were following him. It wasn't just the 12. But one account, Luke's account, says that after a period of time, some commentators say it might have been 10 months, could be a year, Jesus goes up into a mountain. He spends the night in prayer. He comes down from the mountain, and then he chooses 12, and he designates them apostles. Mark's account says, that they might be with him, Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. So it was calling to be with him and then calling to be sent out. So there's something powerful here that we can never miss. We're called to make disciples of the nations, not just preach to them and tell them about Jesus, but to take them from that place where they're newborn babes in Christ so that they are raised up and they become mature sons and daughters of God and conform to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ 
and they're functioning and they're calling and they're giftings and they've been equipped for the ministry. Just exactly the very thing that Jesus did over a three-year period. And I believe that the metrics of the kingdom of God are the true metrics that we need to be measuring our success by today. In other words, it's not the size of our religious gatherings, of our church services, but it's the depth of the disciples that we're making. That's what is important in the kingdom of God. You know, often the metrics that have been used, especially pre-COVID, was how many people attend the weekend services? Uh, what is your what's your budget? How much money is coming in? You know, I mean, what about what about your building? How how big is it? How nice is it? And we would grow our church, quote unquote, by either building a larger facility or adding additional services, multiple services. But what happens in many places, not in all, I mean, I love to see many people, thousands of people gathered who are also being discipled and really going deep with God. It can be done, but you got to go small and you got to multiply and you got to equip and train others. But ultimately, and all too often, you know, I was at a church recently, I won't, I won't say where, but um, you go to this church and it's amazing. You have an incredible time of worship. The teaching is good. There's even prayer and ministry for those who are sick and in need. But going beyond that to be actually discipled, I fail to be able to find that th this is actually happening where people are being equipped. And we also need community. This needs to be done in community. So the metrics of the New Testament, the metrics that Jesus uh, said really are, are what determine or what measures if we're being effective, first of all, is Christ-likeness. Are people being conformed to the likeness of the Son? Are people becoming like Jesus Christ? Luke 6, 40. The student is not above the teacher, but when the student has been perfectly trained, the New King James says, he will be like his teacher. So the Christ-likeness, the word perfectly trained in the Greek, comes from the word that is translated equipped in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. In Ephesians 4, 12, it's Carter Tidsmos, and the word that is used there in Luke 6, 40, perfectly trained is Carter Tidzo. And so it means to be mended, it means to be whole, but it means to be prepared, it means to be equipped, uh, fully furnished, and so on, and brought into alignment. There's different definitions, that's not our topic today. Are we walking like Jesus when he was on the earth? First John 2, 6 says, if anyone says he abides in him, let him walk as he did. Are we doing his mighty works? Are we healing the sick, casting out demons? Are our disciples being activated in the gifts of the spirit? Are they going forth and being uh, developed and, and deployed to be able to minister? As Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe, not just apostles, not just prophets, but them that believe. And he also talks about equipping the saints to be able to do the works that he did. John 14, 12, the works I do shall you do, and also greater works. In the Greek, it's plural. It wasn't just speaking. And are our disciples equipping others? 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 talks about four generations. Paul said, Timothy, what I've taught you, what I've instructed you in, how I discipled you, find faithful men who will disciple others, who will teach others as well. So, it's very, very important that we understand that.
Now, it's all about equipping and releasing people into the fullness of the stature of Christ Jesus and to fulfill their calling and their mandate, their gifts, their mission. This is what we need to change in the nations of the world. We pour into a few and we do it over the long term and we raise them up and send them out. There's so much more we could say about this. All right, apostolic authority. Let's talk about apostolic authority. The apostle is distinguished by the supernatural. Okay, we see this, Acts 5.12, Acts 19.11, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Apostles carry a breaker anointing to bind the powers of darkness, destroy the works of the devil, take territory in cities and nations. Apostles, now listen to this, and let me put it this way, in apostolic communities, because those who come under apostles, you need apostolic alignment, those who come under apostles, they there's something that, you know, we just kind of jokingly say apostolic release for increase. There's something that happens when you come under an apostle. And what I'm saying is, Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, uh, verse 11, right? I'm not, sorry, Romans 1, verse 11, where he talks about imparting to them. But when you come under that, see, then something happens. It becomes, it shifts, and it becomes contagious. It rubs off on others. It happens in the prophetic as well. But we recognize that it's an important part of the gospel of the kingdom. So apostolic authority, apostolic demonstration, apostolic authority. We need that today more than ever. It's predicated upon apostolic devotion. Acts 6, 4, the apostles gave themselves continually to the ministry of the word of God in prayer. And then there was a demonstration of the power of the kingdom. Let me say that the best church growth method, um, the way to be able to never have any issues uh, in terms of being able to minister to people, which, by the way, the paradigm that Jesus operated in, he did not have really, you know, he spoke in the synagogues, but typically that didn't work out too well. He met in homes. He met in the public place. He met on the hillsides. But people came to him because of the power, because of the anointing that was upon his life. So if we walk in that same power, because we are a people that are consecrated to God, we're a people of prayer, a people that are seeking God, everywhere we go, people will be drawn to us. We'll never have a lack of opportunity to do ministry. And God will take care of us as we focus on seeking first his kingdom and righteousness. All right. The next thing is equipping and sending. Apostolic communities are about equipping and sending. Apostles focus on equipping, training, and sending out the saints to advance the kingdom of God and make disciples. There's a special, as I mentioned, this release for increase that is experienced through the impartation of the ministry of an apostle. Apostolic centers, apostolic communities are discipleship and leadership development hubs, equipping the saints to do the ministry. So they catalyze, they resource, they send out, and they support others to advance the kingdom of God. Now, we, we don't have time to really break this down. I've got other teachings on equipping that I've done. Some of them are on YouTube kingdom discipleship, and so on, where I really break this down, what it means to equip people. Um, the, in fact, 
a, a lot of teachings. My book that is being um, written, finalized right now is going to talk about this. The, the purpose here, though, is we need alignment and we need governance. In the New Testament, apostolic centers, apostolic churches, in other words, the places Paul went, he began to preach the gospel, and then he began to gather people to disciple them. They were always connected to an apostle, even when led by local elders. So, for example, Paul, in his first missionary journey, he goes somewhere. Uh, he and Barnabas, they preach the gospel. People believe. And then he says, okay, we need to, um, with prayer and fasting, ordain or appoint elders in every city. Now, again, I have a whole course on this. Um, it's, it's online, Apostolic Missions. And that course, I go through Paul's missionary journeys, and I show you how he changed his approach to disciple others. But ultimately, in the beginning, he chose new believers, and he appointed them as elders. Later on, when he was older and wiser, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, for example, he says, not a novice. So evidently, he learned some things. And Paul's approach, when you go to the third missionary journey, when he's in Ephesus, he's, he's staying put. He's there for three years, scripture says, and he's pouring in, he's raising up, and he's sending out. As a result, he's multiplying himself through these disciples. And you know, um, some of you heard me say this before, but if we were to look at the typical kind of conventional approach to ministry today, where we invite people to, you know, I, I, again, it, it's this is generalizing, but we invite people to a church gathering. Okay, you need to come to my church this weekend. People come, that's awesome. They hear the gospel, they get saved. That's awesome. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. The disciples brought people to Jesus, you know, the, they brought people to, to Peter. There's a place for apostolic authority for the supernatural and signs and wonders. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point is, we need to bring the gospel to them. The saints of God, the people of God need to be involved in bringing the gospel to others as well. And what takes place is when we begin to bring people, um, you know, like maybe we invite them into our home. We, we gather with them and we begin to disciple them and teach them. Now, if you were to do the math, let's just say 100,000 churches, okay, in America, that's, there's more than 100,000 churches. So say 100,000 churches were to win one person to Christ each week, okay? One person per week. 100,000 churches. At the end of a year, that's 5,200,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's powerful. But what if one of us said, hey, you know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Lord to show me someone that I can share the gospel with them. And then I can take a year just pouring into them and discipling them. Now, if you did that at the end of the first year, there would be you and your disciple. The end of this, if you repeat this, if you replicate this, you find another person to disciple. You still stay connected to your first disciple, but your new disciple 
find someone to disciple as well. At the end of the second year, then you have four people. Continue this process, the end of the third year, eight, fourth year, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1056. As it continues, then what of um, 1024, as it continues, do you know by the time you get to the 33rd year, if you follow this multiplication process, do you know that there will be over 8 billion people would have been reached with the gospel and disciple for at least one year? Over 8 billion. The current population of the world is 7.8 billion. Over 8 billion people in 33 years. If you continue the first example where 100,000 churches reach one person per week, it's going to take over a thousand years to reach the population of the world. In the book of Acts, we see very clearly this pattern of disciple of multiplication. In the beginning, Acts 2, you know, it says they were added to the church. In Acts 5, multitudes were added to the church. That's great. But then by the time you get to the sixth chapter, you'll see this in the New King James. Verse 1, it says, disciples were multiplied. So there's a change. Not only now are we seeing believers being added, but disciples, okay, notice the language shifts are being multiplied. And Acts 9.31, it even mentions churches are being multiplied. So when we shift to multiplication, where we just take a few people and we disciple them and we get them to disciple others as well, this is the key to the kingdom of God permeating the earth like leaven in, in a in bread, in dough. This is the key. This is how we're going to bring transformation. This is the way the early church did it. We come into that place where we see that Paul himself, as an apostle, uh, he appointed elders. They were ultimately still given oversight by the apostle Paul. Elders, by the way, is the New Testament term for what we often call pastors today. And it is not, elders are not board members, okay? <laughs> that Now, church boards, there's no precedent for that in the scripture. Now, we have legal entities today, I get that, and uh, not just spiritual, we have legal entities if we're registered with the government and that stuff, but in many countries of the world, they don't have that. But elders were mature believers who were really part of the fivefold. They had a calling, essentially, to shepherd to teach in many aspects as well. And they that word is, is presbyteros in Greek. Paul says in Acts 20, he speaks to the elders and he calls them the overseers, which is episkopos, and he tells them to shepherd the flock. So elders, presbyteros, are also overseers who shepherd the flock. First Peter 5, you see the same language being used. Peter talks about the elders who are overseers, and how they're also called to shepherd. Paul appoints these elders and these overseers who are faithful, who, who um, will do the work on the local level. And then ultimately what we see, and, and by the way, I'm not just saying that all elders are, are local. Some of them function in the role of an evangelist. Um, what I'm saying is that even, by the way, do you know that prophets ultimately in the new testament were accountable to the apostolic leaders do you know that agabus who was a prophet that came out of jerusalem 
the it doesn't say this in the scriptures in the gospel in the book of acts or the epistles but tradition and church history tell us that's a better term church history tells us that agabus was one of the elders in jerusalem in fact he was one of the 70 that jesus originally sent out that's what that's what history tells us so there was a sense where we see in in the church in in um jerusalem that the apostles acts 15 and the elders came together so we see elders working with the apostles apostolic centers apostolic communities are to be linked to an apostle and paul had that authority he functioned in that he oversaw that and then there were networks as well now we they were apostolic networks, and they were established to create alignment, synergy, and collaboration in ministry in order to advance the kingdom. For example, you know, Paul talks about how, you know, he, he would preach the gospel, and, and uh, he would go to one of the churches that he had apostolic oversight of, and he'd say, hey, guys, can you help the church in Jerusalem? Let's take an offering. Let's you know, let's do this, let's do that. And so there was collaboration. He would even send people to these churches that he had established to help disciple them. I already mentioned Titus 1.5, where he sent Titus to Crete. So we see this functioning. We see this happening. Paul would send Timothy and, and others. So there's a place for apostolic alignment, and there's a place for governance. I believe that all local churches should ultimately be connected to an apostle. I know and realize that for some, um, it, it wasn't done that way in the beginning. It wasn't established that way. I get that. But when we're trying to transition, we really need someone who has the grace to be able to help, who is a father, mother, who has a heart to be able to equip, to be able to train, to be able to teach, to love, um, but has also the mantle and the authority and the anointing to be able to function in this role. Very, very important. If you have a ministry, even if you are an apostle, you should be connected to others ultimately that are, I believe, apostolic. Yes, you need prophetic people in your life. Of course, I have people I'm connected to that are prophetic that I allow to speak into my life. I have people that I'm connected to um, that are apostles as well. They speak into my life through relationships. I trust them. They, they help me, they serve me in my calling and so on. And then of course, there are others that look to me that way as well. So important. God has set in the church, first of all, apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, workers of miracles, and so on. This is an important thing, guys. Here are some elements, some aspects of the apostolic or apostolic communities. I hope this gives you, um, provokes you to think, to say, okay, how can I, how can I come into alignment? Um, what do I need to change in terms of my mission and my message, which I'm preaching and how I'm ministering to people? Empowering, equipping others for multiplication will see the greatest release of the power of God on the earth to advance the kingdom of God. Thanks for joining us today at The Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, 
equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about the Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.